strategist cowboy welcome to today's fight our first contestant is a belgian amber colored pale ale called galoui pronounced hulase in belgian weighing in at 5.5% abv our second contestant is also a Belgian beer, a wheat beer dubbed Hohe Garden with Blanche, pronounced Hohgarden with Blanche or Beery Blanche, weighing in, weighing in at 4.9% ABV. Brasserie de Bock is the manufacturer of the Belgian beer. Hulase Amber. Hulase comes in bottles, bottles containing 33 centiliter or about 11 liquid ounces. Hulase is made from water and barley malt. It is an over yeasted beer since it is an ale. The color of the beer is said to be amber. It contains Pilsner and caramalt. Caramalt is some kind of added candy flavor ingredient. It contains three different hop sorts. Saaz from Czech, Strisselspalt from Alsace and Saphir from Germany. Recommended temperature when served is 8 to 10 degrees Celsius or about 46 to 50 degrees Fahrenheit. How about the experience then? I have for this episode and the coming episodes set up different evaluating criterias. They are the following. Color, aroma, foam, taste, richness, taste on your palate, sweetness, bitterness, Candy-like, fruitiness, spices, undertone, carbonation level, creaminess, aftertaste, acidic or not, and aberrations. The color is uh, amber-like, yes, it's a kind of darky, 
but it's clear. You can see your fingers through the glass and it's got a very nice sweet aroma. Yes. And it's foamy. Very good head. Very good head. This is some beer. Okay, I, I, I cannot even get down to the beer because of the big head. The large head. But I'll come there in a minute. One moment. It's rich. Not particularly super rich, but rich. It's uh, got a bitter taste on your palate. It's kind of bitter. Not too much, not, not at all. Well, if the aroma is sweet, the beer is not particularly sweet. No, no I don't think it's sweet. It's not candy-like. Not very fruity either. And uh, spices, I don't think so. I can't notice any spices, particular strong spices or anything. It's a uh, Good ale. It's got an ale undertone, if you wish to say that. You can do that. Uh, if you can, well. It's well carbonated. The carbonation level is uh, pretty high I don't I don't think it's creamy but it's got a pleasant aftertaste 
beer-like, ale-like aftertaste as it should have. And it's not acidic. And it doesn't have any aberrations. It's better than um, any Danish beer I have ever drunk. I think, oh, I think, maybe with the exception of Carlsberg Export. Maybe I have drunk some Danish beer that can measure up to this, but I, don't, I cannot recall it right now. I didn't used to review beers beforehand this. This is a good everyday beer. But it's a good everyday beer, if you know what I mean. I like it. But Belgian beer is the best. Okay, grading. I think I will grade it um, 9 out of 10 possible. Uh, dev 9 devils out of 10 possible. It's not that it doesn't deserve a 10 plus, but uh, it's kind of a, a normal uh, taste on a beer. It's There's no uh, extra palate tasting things. I mean, what can I say? It's a beer without any added extra flavors, if you, and, and added extra flavors i like added extra flavors but this is a good very good beer if i was to compare it with other beers of this type other ales i would give it uh, maybe 10 out of 10 possible but i'm comparing it to an, a lot of other types of beers and sorts of beers and beer types on source so i give it nine out of ten nine out of ten thank you Oh, and I almost forgot. Now, to our second contestant in this Belgian national match. The Witbeer Hoogharden with Blanche, or Beer Blanche. Beer Blanche. This Witbeer has got a 4.9% ABV. It too comes in a 33 centiliter bottle. Ingredients in Hoogharden's Witbeer beer are water, yeast, wheat, hops, coriander seed and dried bitter orange peel. Information on the internet on Hochharden is ample. Too ample to single out specific information it seems. Although this particular assortment is somewhat left out or drowning in information from other assortments from Hochharden. So, uh, how about the experience then?
it is uh, Hoharn is uh, very not clear. <laughs> I cannot see my fingers, almost not see my fingers at all through the glass. <clears throat> but it's an ale or a wheat beer, it is. But uh, let me see here. Uh, aroma. I, I must say that I, I'm not very. I'm not used to drinking wheat beer. Wheat beer. I've. I don't. I, I'm. I'm not even sure I've done it before. Maybe this is the first time I'm drinking wheat beer. Could be interesting. Mm. It got a bready br bread aroma for some kind, but it's a wheat bear, so it should have maybe. Tastes like bread. Foam. It's oh, I'm sorry. It's good enough. taste um, I'll get back the, to that one richness not very rich No special taste in my palate. I don't think it's sweet either. It's not very bitter. It's not candy-like. Fruitiness. Well, some um, orange peel. Yes, very much orange peel taste. I think they used orange peel when they made this beer for tasting taste. Spices, uh, no. It tastes wheat. Undertone, it tastes wheat. Carbonation level. Well, not very much, but uh, not too little either. Or either. It's not 
creamy. The aftertaste is uh, a little bit thin. It's not acidic. And I don't think it has, has got any aberrations. Taste. Taste, it's, uh, if I'll get back to that one, I think it's, um, it's wheat. It tastes wheat. Uh, it doesn't taste wheat, but you can no you can you can notice that it's made from wheat. I'm not used to drinking wheat beer, so you have to excuse me if I'm not making a correct conclusion about this beer. It's not a it's not a bad beer at all. It's a good beer. Don't think it's bad because I've it didn't have any creaminess or spices or such. But it's uh, a little light. It's also called beer blanche. Beer blanche be exact in Belgium and in Netherlands Hollandish it's definitely made in Flandern Hoogwaarden it's a Flanderish uh, Hollandish uh, language I know because uh, my mother's husband is from Flandern near Ho Holland or Netherlands the Netherlands I think it's a good beer I will grade it um, seven or eight devils out of ten possible I think uh, it's difficult to uh, choose between uh, those two grades. Uh, if I have to, I'd say uh, seven because wheat beer is probably not my kind of beer. But then I'm I'm not grading who harden uh, this beer wheat beer. I'm grading uh, the t the type of beer and that's different so uh, well I don't know because I have I, I don't think I've ever drunk a wheat beer before wheat beer so I, I give it seven absolutely don't drink and drive 
Drink responsibly or not at all. Don't drink at all if you're unrage or pregnant. Thank you. For my strategic lessons, you must remember that these events may have happened years ago. It may not be current events I'm talking about. And, um, well, this is lesson three of my strategic lessons. The end of all civilizations. In 2013, the United States extracted in its country amounts of oil equivalent to 60% of the nation's oil consumption. America consumes 10 liters of oil per person and day. But in 2019, the United States oil reserve days are basically over, unless we account for oil that comes from shale and difficult to reach oil reserves. And you need to pump down toxic chemicals into the ground to be able to extract the shale oil. Moreover, the shale oil's impact on the market is temp temporary. The 35 billion Texan barrels of oil in an area as big as Alabama will only supply America for a few years. 320 million inhabitants consume 10 liters per person and day. That equals 3 billion 200 million times 365 equals 1 trillion 168 billion divided with 159 liters per barrel equals 7,300,000,000 barrels in one year. That equals maybe five years of consumption for the entire American people. Texas consists largely, largely of desert, but this desert has an ecosystem. I think Trump is in a propaganda war with the oil producing countries that do not have to use chemicals to be able to pump up oil. He says that everything is well, and he has said that the US would become self-sufficient in oil and even become a net exporter of oil. But what, president, what, but what president wants to go down in history as the president who poisoned America's environment and above all its sweet water sources to the extent we see today with the fracking method? if there was high-quality oil to be bought elsewhere for the US. This story is going to float up to the surface and haunt Trump for sure. Trump writes in his book Crippled America from 2015 that researchers at the small university, Rice University in Houston, Texas, have estimated that the US can, ha can have within quotation marks, two trillion barrels of recoverable oil within quotation marks, so that it will suffice for US consumption for 285 years. Firstly, if you calculate on two trillion barrels and the population of the United States in 2015, then the given number is incorrect. The correct number would be 270 years. I also do not believe in this estimation of 2 trillion barrels. 
because it would mean that the United States has got more oil reserves than the rest of the world put together. Quite much more. I think it is a joyish calculation, especially considering that the US has to make use of fracking to such a great extent already today to pump up their oil. I think the US is experiencing its last oil boom and at a great cost to their environment as well. The CIA World Factbook 2018 to 2019, which I trust more than I believe in Trump's bombastic statements about America's independence, shows that the United States 2016 imported most of the oil they consume from Canada, Venezuela, Saudi Arabia and Iraq. But one must make an assessment based on the comparison between states in the book and simple calculations. If the USA, if the USA does not import oil, but instead exports domestic oil, they have stepped up the fracking extraction of oil with rocket speed in the past years since 2016. It now de facto appears as if the United States has so much oil that it will last forever and that it even can be exported because they have too much of the product, if anyone can have that. The United States as the foremost player in the West and Saudi Arabia as the leading player in the Middle East is in a nerve war with each other about the oil price. It seems like if acceptance of the fracking method has increased in the US, they can destroy the Texan desert because that eco-environment is not essential to the people of the United States. But judging from the pictures in a recently made French documentary film, the shale oil is at least partly extracted in fertile and inhabited areas in the Permian Basin area of Texas, where most of the shale oil comes from. A basin, just like the Permian Basin, is a place where the ground is lower than its surrounding. A basin can in nature be a very wide stretched area, ideal for vegetation. Water flows from the surroundings into many of the basins and that makes the basins fertile. Where there, where there are green pastures and ample water reserves are also the same places where people tend to settle and it is mostly in basins you can find oil. Consequently, the toxins used for the fracking method will con contaminate the ground and the groundwater and the groundwater used by farmers and as drinking water by people and livestock. 15 million homes in the US get their water from private wells. That is 43.5 million people. 63 million Americans were exposed to unsafe drinking water in 2017. Almost one-fifth of the population in the United States. Also, since people first settled in those basins, many ideal spots for oil drilling purposes are inhabited farmland and or heavily populated city regions. The oil is often literally under the feet of the urban population. That's what I mean when I say difficult to reach oil reserves. Pollution in the community's groundwater and in Sweetwater Lakes 
forced many people to buy bottled water instead of drinking from the tap. A lot of extra energy consumption is thus created when large amounts of water has to be bottled and delivered from faraway locations. The number from the French 2018 documentary, The Struggle for Oil, speak of 400 million barrels a year, or 1.1 million barrels of oil extracted through fracking in the United States per day. It does not make the United States self-sufficient, but 1.1 million barrels a day is equivalent to what the United States 2016 imported from Saudi Arabia and Iraq together. It is about one-seventh of the total US oil imports. But the 1.1 million number is only one-eighth of the number which the CIA World Factbook 2018-2019 claims that the US domestic production of oil was per day in 2016. But perhaps they look at fracking in the USA as a method of pressing down the oil price marginally and not as a way to become self-sufficient in oil. The extracted amount of shale oil that according to what the French documentary film from 2018 claims that the US pumps up today would last just as long as according to my calculations for how long the US civilization as we know it can count on to exist, i.e. about additionally 40 years. Is this a coincidence? The United States, according to the CIA World Factbook 2018 to 2019, imports 2.0 million barrels a day from Canada and 1.0 million barrels of oil per day from Mexico. But the Mexican oil is out of stock at any time, if the oil wells have not already dried up. Convenient then, that a wall against Mexico is going to be built right about now if Trump gets his way. The United States imports another 700,000 barrels a day from Saudi Arabia, 400,000 barrels a day from Iraq, and 300,000 barrels a day from Venezuela. The known rest, or 200,000 barrels, come in smaller quantities from other countries. All in all, the known amount of 4.6 million barrels. In comparison, the giant American oil rig Perdido, which is located 300 kilometers offshore in the Mexican Gulf, can pump up maybe 86,000 barrels of oil per day. The oil rig itself cost $3 billion to build. That means a liter price, a liter price of four dollars or fifteen dollars per gallon, if the oil rig stands for fifteen years. And that's not counting salaries for the oil rig's personnel and maintenance or production stuff. Nor do I estimate the deconstruction costs. But on the other hand, it is a low estimation of the oil rig's total lifespan. Imagine that. $15 per gallon. The numbers suggest that Perdido is only an experimental platform. But Perdido is extremely remote. Actually, 2 million barrels of oil of the US oil is produced by the US 
with less remote and less complex offshore platforms in the Mexican Gulf every day. There is thus a difference between offshore and offshore. If I, in the CIA World Factbook 2018 to 2019, calculate on all oil countries' oil exports and the oil countries' export percentage to the US, and then make a comparison with the fixed figures for the for US oil imports, then about 4.6 million barrels, as mentioned above, are covered in the book of the US total imported 7.85 million barrels. Thus, it doesn't add up. The United States produces, I guess mainly by the fracking method, because it is the method used in the Texas Permian Basin nowadays. 8.9 million barrels a day in 2016, according to the factbook. The United States could in theory live solely on Saudi Arabia's oil reserves only, realistically or optimistically, depending on how you look at it, 30 years if the Saudis had been able to pump up the oil in the required pace and if they sold their oil exclusively to the United States, which they don't do today. Canada sits on 170 billion barrels of crude oil, a fourth place in the world, and the country exports 2.7 million barrels of oil per day, most of which goes to the United States and Venezuela, which exports oil to China, but mostly to the United States, sits on one of the world's two largest certain oil reserves, the other being Saudi Arabia's, i.e. about 300 billion barrels of oil for each of the two nations. But Venezuela is only in place 11 in the world when it comes to crude oil production. They export 1.5 million barrels of oil per day. China can buy, buy just under half of the oil exports that the United States creams out of Venezuela. It is only because of Venezuela's geographic location and nothing else that China does not have a larger portion of the pie. The United States imports a total of 7.8 or 7.9 million barrels of oil per day. That means they have to import more than half of these 7.9 million barrels of oil from the Middle East mainly. This would mean that their civilization can survive unaffected for more than 40 years by importing oil from just Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Canada and Venezuela, plus the US own oil production, as long as production and the pie allotment remain constant as in 2016. But then they would have no allies in Europe to take into account, and they must consider at least one European partner, Britain. The oil deposits at the Golan Heights are estimated to exceed Saudi Arabia's oil reserves. The CIA World Factbook 2018 to 2019 doesn't mention any evidence of major oil deposits in Israel. But this was expected at this stage, regardless of whether they, there are any significant oil deposits in the ground at the Golan Heights or not. They do not like lying but it is actually not proven beyond doubt that there are oil in large quantities at the Golan Heights. 
it could be an equally unsuccessful project, a money drain, as with the sup supposed gas in Siljansringen in Sweden three decades ago. The European civilization may have only 20 years of its lifetime left, if we do not pump up our military muscles. The United States military force is an expeditionary one and will not be able to measure up to Europe's total defense forces, at least not on the ground, and at least not without a safe haven and deployment site, and not without safe bases. But the Americans have no interest in occupying northwestern Europe. If the United States together with Britain are hogging the oil and running over or ignoring most European countries in the process, then England will be left to pick up the bill. It will end with an unintentionally neutering of Great Britain by the United States, just as they were neutered by the Romans during the former migration per period. We do not behave like that. We sit on the best magnetic iron ore in the world, but we would never be so stupid that we thought we could become isolationistic isolationistic, while the rest of Europe or the world falls back into the Middle Ages. In that case, we would have to count on a war against an overwhelming opponent, though in our case a war against us by the Europeans had not been needed. We would have been goners logistically and material-wise anyway. America's and Europe's civilizations goes under together, with or without a great war. But good luck trying to get Trump to understand that. Russia's oil reserves are estimated to be 80 billion barrels in 2017. It will, it will be enough for 20 years if Russia is forced to supply Europe and China with the oil they are used to consuming throughout this time. Today, Russia exports roughly 50% of its oil production. Azerbaijan's oil will last for 23 years with its current production rate, which is relatively low. Norway's oil reserves were one-sixth of the United States in 2017. The Norwegians produced 1,648,000 barrels of oil per day in 2016. They retained 253,000 of the, these barrels of oil for their own use in 2016. Export is at approximately 80% of the total production. Norway is able to produce oil for a further 10 years with the current production rate. Sweden imported 394,000 barrels of oil per day in 2016. 45% of the crude oil came from Russia. 26% came from Norway. Nigeria accounted for 10%. Venezuela for 7%, and Denmark accounted for 13% in 2016. And the sources for this text is the CIA World Factbook and the part about Sweden's oil imports from the blog Cornucopia by Lars Wildreng. The world's oil reserves of 1 trillion 726 billion barrels of oil in 2017 are sufficient for the whole world for maybe 18 years from 2019. However, there are uncertainties in these estimates. New oil fields are discovered on a regular basis and since 1999 we have declared peak oil every year. Also, 
The Ugandan oil deposits probably wrecked my estimation a bit. But the Southeast Asian countries' econ economies are growing fast. But it is more complicated than so. There are actually 161 different internationally traded crude oils on the stock market. It can seem insanely many since you as a consumer only have a few different options to choose from when you refuel your gasoline car. The crude oils all differ in terms of quality and price. Many grades of crude oil are suitable for production of plastics, diesel and fuel oil only. The Norwegian and British oil in the North Sea has been dubbed Brent oil. Brent oil is characterized by its high quality and it is suitable for making gasoline from. West Texas Intermediate WTI, also known as Texas Light Sweet, is also a type of high quality crude oil suitable for making gasoline from. And it is used by a as a benchmark in oil pricing alongside Brent. Both crude oils are light, low density, and sweet, low in sulfur. Other important oil markers include Dubai Crude and OPEC Reference Basket. Phosphates. Phosphates are used for manure and it is spread across farmlands around the world to achieve significantly larger harvests. Estimates of phosphate production are sometimes difficult to understand because the phosphates are mined in different forms. The dominant form is phosphate rock, a mineral that is usually mined in open pits. Two-thirds of the world production are mined in China, the United States and Morocco, Western Sahara. Morocco and the by Morocco occupied Western Sahara account for 30% of the export market. U.S. phosphate reserves will last for 30 years for U.S. only. For U.S. use only. The United States does not export phosphate ore. Neither does China. The world's phosphate reserves are estimated to be around 15 billion tons, which is sufficient, sufficient for the worldwide consumption for 90 years with current technology, according to the U.S. Geological Survey. Phosphate production in the world will not come to a critical low level before the world's oil reserves peter out. Thus, phosphate production in Morocco, Morocco slash Western Sahara is strategically secondary. This did not prevent the United States from making a bilateral trade deal with Morocco during 2006. The European Union didn't jump on the train until two years later. And my homework for you today, if you want to make it, is can you think of a reason why George W. Bush and the United States made a bilateral trade deal with Morocco during 2006? Thank you. Oh, thank you.